Good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is staying healthy. It is good to gather to worship God, whether we are gathering as families or here in this place, gathering as the family of God. It's a couple of announcements. Um, It is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all the fathers and to the other men. As I I mentioned to somebody earlier today, I, I try to think back on not just my own father, but also the men who stood alongside my father and sought to raise me through whether they prayed for my dad or whether they actually stepped in and helped out, but sought to help raise me in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so I'm thankful to all the men who have um, interacted in my life for that purpose. Um, you have some announcements in there. We are still collecting money for For Him Ministries. If you do write a check for that, please put um, WOC in the 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 pay. E, um, as well as uh, so that we know where to go, but also put the um, For Him Ministries in the memo, and then that'll all get deposited, and um, a, a single check will be written out to them. But there's a basket out there in the narthex in the entryway to place those in. Also, um, for those of you who listen online, um, we will not have services uploaded. For the next couple weeks, um, we are, Michelle and I are, and the boys too, we're going to invite them along as well, but we're taking vacation, and so um, uh, the young man will be preaching for me, his name is Matt Harvey, and so, um, but since I am typically the one that does the recording, the editing, and the uploading, um, we'll take a break from that for the next two weeks. There are uh, several churches in the area um, that are good Bible-believing churches that have um broadcast that you can listen to. There are also many other ARP churches, if you would prefer to listen to an ARP minister, um, that do live broadcast and recorded broadcast also. So please uh, avail yourself to those these next couple weeks. And then the last announcement I have is that we will be doing the Lord's Supper today. We will be celebrating it, but it will be different. As you can see already, it looks different. Um, Within each of these uh, plates, for lack of a better term, are it's half and half a cup of bread and a cup of juice, not mixed all together into one. We're not giving you slushies. But there's uh, individual communion cups with a piece of bread in it and individual communion cups with the juice in it. The elders will bring the plate to you. So make sure there's room around you, whether it's an empty pew in front of you or empty space on the pew next to you, so that the elders can get to you. And when they come to you, take one of each. And hold on to them. They're going to come around one time. So just take one of each, being very careful to only touch the ones that you grab. And then we'll do the rest of communion as normal from there once the elements have been distributed. I will fence the table as normal, which means that I will say, you know, if you are in gross sin or if you are not a believer in Jesus, please don't partake. But on top of that, if you are not comfortable partaking because of virus concerns, please let it pass. There is no judgment from us to you for that, for either of those. So please keep those things in mind as we get later on in the service um, to communion. And I'll go over this again when we get to communion. But um, important thing to remember, make sure there's room near you or in front of you for the elder to get to you. Take one of each. And then we will go from there. 
Are there any other announcements? If not, our call to worship comes from Psalm 91. We have been singing Psalm 91 each week. We have been working through it as our call to worship each week of this month. And we will also look at Psalm 91 as a whole today. Um, But our call to worship today comes from Psalm 91, beginning in verse 9. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Let us pray. God, our Father, we do thank you for these promises, for this reminder that you offer protection to those who come near to you, to dwell with you, to love you, to call out to you in prayer. You offer your angelic beings as the means by which they are protected. And you have used those beings to protect us so that we might gather together with you, whether here in this place or in our homes. Remind us that you have called us to worship Remind us that you have called us to lift our praises to you and remind us as we lift our voices in prayer that you are the God who hears and you are the God who protects. And so, Lord, we do now lift our voices in prayer to you by praying as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us take our Bible songs, that green book there before you, and turn to Bible song number 188. Under his wings. God offers us the protection of his wings. And so let us stand and sing Bible Song 188.
Please bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer, praying for confession. Father of mercies, quiet our anxious thoughts and help us to be still before you. We confess that we do not run to you as our refuge and strength, but turn to many other sources of hope and help when our souls are troubled. When our lives fall apart and our hearts are like roaring and foaming seas, we are prone to fear you, accuse you, hate you, and feel abandoned by you. If we have been obedient to you, we think that you owe us better than this cup of suffering. When we have disobeyed, we fear that you are judging us and imagine that we have spoiled your wonderful plan for our lives. Father, thank you for your presence with us in our joy and our sorrow in our strength and our weakness. We praise you that we cannot ruin your plans, for you work all things, even our own sin and the sins of others against us, together for our good and for your glory. Lord Jesus, you obeyed your Father with every thought and action. Yet his wonderful plan for your life was yet his wonderful plan for your life was to give you the bitter cup of suffering that should that should have been ours. You trusted and loved God even when He didn't let that cup pass from you. Your faith never wavered when He turned His back on you so that He would never have to forsake us. Thank You for obeying in our place and giving us Your righteousness. Holy Spirit, exalt Christ in our hearts. Give us strength to trust in Him for we are weak and it is hard to practice what we believe. You alone can restrain our sin for without Your grace to sustain us, we quickly fall. 
When we resist sin, show us that all the glory is yours and not ours. When we fall, remind us of the oceans of love and forgiveness that are ours in Christ and of your complete sovereignty over all sin. May we treasure Christ in our weakness and failure, celebrating the love of such a wonderful Savior. Thank you for times of pain when you dismantle our idolatries and disarm the fortresses that we turn to instead of you. When life is stormy, let us find safety, peace, and hope in Christ, our best refuge, and the only source of true and lasting strength. And it is in his priceless name that we pray. Amen. Hear these words of assurance. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is a holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. And God will help her when morning dawns. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. The temptation of Jesus. Satan actually quotes Psalm 91 in his temptation of Jesus while Jesus is in the wilderness. And so here are these words of the Lord from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And now is the time where we would typically have the ushers take up tithes and offerings. But out of the abundance that we have been given, we have the opportunity to give either in the basket here, the plate in the back, or mailing your tithes and offerings in. And I would like to say thank you to those who have continued to faithfully give to God's work and God's ministry here at this church.
God, we do lift our praises to you. We lift your name on high. We thank you for all that you have provided for us. And we thank you for the opportunity to worship by returning a portion of what you have given as our tithes and offerings. Lord, please take what is given. Please use it. Please multiply it. And may your name be glorified through it, both in what is given and what we do with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book and turn to number 307. O Jesus, I have promised. O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. So let us sing and lift that declaration to God and pray to him for the strength to fulfill that. Let's remain standing and sing hymn number 307. people who 
gather around truth and we join with those who have proclaimed the truth, who have professed the truth throughout the history of the church. And so, church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Are there any prayer requests or prayer updates today? As I mentioned, we'll be on vacation, so... We pray for safety for that and also for safety. Anyone else who is traveling? Continue to pray for this virus as it seems to be making a, a repeat appearance here, uh, both in our county and around our country. And so we do pray that God would protect those who either come in contact with it or are having to take care of those who have come in contact with it. We also pray for the economic strength of our community. Um, one of the big economic um, injections that we have every year has been canceled as the fair has been canceled. So pray for local businesses and um, everybody that will be impacted by that uh, negatively. Also pray for the turmoil within our country. Give us wisdom. Pray that God gives our leaders wisdom um, to make decisions. And continue to lift up Annette and her family and Jimmy's family and the loss of Jimmy. And so... Any other updates or prayer requests? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Them in mind. Anything else? Yeah, pray for Rachel Barkley with her grandson one. He, she's having an operation Wednesday. Okay, we'll pray for her. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, you are great. You are sovereign. You are ruler over all. You are the God who protects. You're the God who shields. You're the God who judges sin. You're the God who gives mercy. You are all knowing. You are all powerful. 
You are everywhere present. There is nowhere that we can hide from you. You are the God who knows our thoughts before we even think them. You have ordered the steps of our days. And you have made sure that they are for your glory and for your honor. And we thank you for that knowledge that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of pandemic, even in the midst of turmoil within our culture and within our country, you are sovereign over those things. And you give your protection to your people. So Lord, help us to love you. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to pray to you in the midst of those difficult times. And help us to rest and trust, as the psalmist says, in your sovereignty. Lord, we lift up these many, many requests. We, we think of Greensboro. It's, it's been such a center of the civil rights movement throughout the history of this last century and, and 20 years. And we ask that you provide peace there, that you provide protection for Donna's family and for all the people that are there in Greensboro. And Lord, bring people together, not just there, but in our country. There are many of us who are all after the same thing. We are all after, whether it's reconciliation, whether it's economic prosperity, whether it's a, a peaceful country, a strong country where we can exercise our freedoms as codified in the Constitution. Lord, we are all about the same things, but we see different ways to get there. And instead of sitting down and talking, many times we talk at each other or we yell at each other or we insult each other thinking that we've made our point through through murderous words. Yet you call us to be a people of peace. So we, we repent for those times when we have engaged in the rhetoric that has caused division instead of listening and talking and seeking to come to wisdom. And we ask that you change our hearts and change the hearts of our fellow countrymen so that we can sit down and talk and come to a path of wisdom, not a path of oppression, not a path of destruction, but a path of wisdom that honors and glorifies you. Lord, I pray for the, all the unrest across our nation. I pray for reconciliation, continued reconciliation. I, I ask that you help us to remember and to give thanks for the progress that you have given to us. But also help us to realize that we, we may have a ways to go. We do have a ways to go. And we need to work on this together in a way that honors and glorifies you in a way that advances your kingdom rather than our own. Lord, I also pray for this pandemic. You have sent it to us for a reason. Are we not still enough? Are we not repentant enough? Lord, what what do we need to repent of? How should we pray? How should we wait for you? Show us the good ways in which we can wait for you. Show us the good ways in which we can repent. Show us the good ways in which we can serve even in the midst of this difficult time. And show us your protection. Show us those places where you have stepped between us and this virus. Or between us and an auto accident. Or between us and whatever danger we don't know is there. 
Remind us of your constant protection that is upon us. We do lift up Rachel Barkley and ask for wise surgeons, steady hands as she undergoes this surgery on Wednesday. We pray for the people of Alderson as they are rebuilding after these flash floods over the weekend. Lord, help that to go quickly and offer them your hand and your comfort in the midst of that. Do lift up Annette and her family and the Huffman family and ask that you continue to provide your comfort in the midst of their loss, in the midst of their suffering. Remind them of the hope that Jimmy had and the, the hope that we can have as well. That this is not the end. That there is a place where your promises will be fulfilled perfectly and completely. A place where we can hope for no more pain, no more death, no more tears, no more sickness. Lord, help us to live in the knowledge and the joy of that hope. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 91. Today we have been reading through it, as I mentioned earlier, as our call to worship. We've also been singing through it each week. And it has been a source of great comfort. I'd like to say thank you to Nancy for having the idea, to bringing it up. And uh, it has been, at least to me, a source of comfort as we've considered travel, as we've considered just interacting in community, and as we've considered church. This is one of the great psalms that we sing often throughout the history of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. The ARP Church came out of the Scottish Presbyterian Church by way of Ireland and Philadelphia. And... um, I can explain that history some other time if you'd like. But uh, the Scottish Presbyterian Church was known for psalm singing. And so we still nod toward that tradition with opening with a Bible song each week. And Psalm 91, Under His Wings, has been a favorite for years of the ARP. And so join with me as we read from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words that are here for us in Psalm 91. 
Words that remind us of who you are. Remind us of what you do for us. What you have done for us. What you will continue to do for us. And it also reminds us of the hope that awaits us. In your heavens. Your new heavens and your new earth. And so give us your Holy Spirit today so that we might be changed. So that we might love you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 91 is a psalm of confidence. Now, a psalm of confidence lies somewhere between the psalm of lament and the psalm of thanksgiving. The psalm of lament is that psalm that that prays to God in the deepest of the darkest nights of the soul. It prays to God in the midst of difficulty. It prays to God in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial. Whether it's like Psalm 130, which is a psalm of lament, lamenting the psalmist's own sins and the troubles that came to him because of those sins. Or whether it's like other psalms of lament, like Psalm 88, that laments the difficulty of chronic disease. Or the psalms of lament because enemies, friends who have become enemies, like in Psalm 55, have betrayed And we are sitting under those struggles. There are psalms of lament for all of those difficulties in our lives. Even just the difficulties of living life in a fallen and broken world. There are a psalm of lament there. On the other end of that are the psalms of thanksgiving. Where the psalmist affirms that he has come out of a difficult time. A trial, a tribulation. And he is thanking God for the provision that God gave to him. To get him, to see him through the trial. The psalm of confidence lies somewhere in the middle. Interestingly enough, many of the psalms of lament have a little bit of a psalm of confidence tacked on to the end of them. The most popular, the most well-known being Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end saying, I will profess your goodness before the congregation when you rescue me. So there's even confidence in the psalms of lament. But there are a few psalms that are specifically psalms of confidence where we can tell that the author is in the midst of a difficulty, yet not quite lamenting and not quite thanksgiving, but having confidence that God will rescue from that difficulty, from that trial. And that's what we have here in Psalm 91. We do not know who the author of Psalm 91 is. Some think it is Moses, and maybe he was writing about a time during the wilderness journey when God had sent his judging pestilence upon the Israelites in the midst of their rebellion. Others think maybe it was David. And he wrote the psalm during the time he was being judged for his sin of taking a census that is recorded for us near the end of the book of 2 Samuel. But honestly, we don't know who the author is. We don't know what the situation is, but we do know that the situation applies to each and every one of us. And so today, as we consider Psalm 91, I want us to look at two things. I want us to look at, number one, God's promises, of which there are eight in this particular psalm. And then we will look at our responsibilities in light of those promises, of which there are three. So first, the eight promises, God's promises found in this psalm. And we're going to look at three of them together. And I think they are the main, the the. I don't know, maybe main promises is the wrong way to say it, but I think the ones that we're going to spend the most time on, we'll just say it that way. And those are rescue, deliverance, and protection. God promises in this psalm, he promises rescue, he promises deliverance, and he promises protection. 
And verses 3 through 13 list for us many of the things that God protects us from. And there are a lot of things there. It opens up with salvation from the fowler's snare. The fowler's snare signifies for us those unseen circumstances that just spring up out of nowhere and seem to catch us off guard. Just like the bird is caught by the net that the fowler puts out, the the bird trapper puts out. That that net has to be hidden until that last moment when the bird gets close enough for the trap to be sprung. The fowler snare reminds us that God either protects, rescues, or delivers us from those unseen snares. From the deadly pestilence, which he covers again in verse 6, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at night. Sickness and illness that comes upon us, whether in the deep darkness of the night, once again an unseen thing, or even a plague that we see coming. Maybe much like the virus that is here today, that we know the things that keep us protected from them. We know the the places where we are in danger of catching the particular disease. And yet God calls us into those places anyway, whether to serve or whether to just to live our life. And we know that we are in danger. God either rescues, protects or delivers in the midst of those. I lost my place here. Sorry. We do not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, the things that bring us great fear, the three, the things that bring us um, attacks, the things that cause us difficulty, whether at day or night, God either rescues, delivers or protects us from even says a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will observe with your eyes. You will see the punishment of the wicked. He goes on to say that angels will work in our lives to rescue, to deliver and to protect. They will guard us as we walk the paths of our lives. They will make sure that we do not trip or strike our foot, even against the smallest of pebbles. Those strong difficulties that come into our lives, signified by the lion, by the great lion, those difficulties, those trials that roar, that attack. And those sneaky difficulties that act like a snake in the grass. God will rescue, deliver or protect us from all of those. Some commentators even see demonic danger in the list of things in verses five and six as the arrow flies, as the pestilence stalks, as the plague destroys God will protect us even from the demonic attacks that are out there. Something that we don't give enough credence to. Something that we don't give enough importance to in our enlightened age. That we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And God offers to us rescue, deliverance, and protection in these things. And he promises us all three of these things, not just one. Some things that we go into, he is going to rescue us from before they attack. Some things that we go through, he is going to deliver us from either probably in the midst of them. And other things that come upon us, he is going to protect us in the midst of them. That picture of the bird with its feathers spread over It's young chicks 
That bird is protecting in the midst of danger. That that, that bird is protecting from attacks that are coming upon, excuse me, coming upon the chicks. And so we see either rescue, deliverance, or protection. Where do we see rescue? Well, oftentimes we don't see rescue because God protects us from those things that we don't see. We never even see them or the protection. How many times have you been driving down the road? You realize how dangerous it is, dangerous it is to drive down the road, hurling down an interstate at 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90. Uh, never mind, I don't go that fast. But you're in a piece of metal hurtling at high rates of speed down a concrete or asphalt pathway. Do you realize that just the minuscule thing that could go wrong? And God protects you from those things, not just you, but the people around you. How many of you have driven in a big city before? How many of you know that those excessive rates of speed that I talked about just a few moments ago happen in big cities bumper to bumper? Yeah, God protects you. God rescues you in those situations. Accidents in the home. We're told that most accidents happen, not car accidents, but regular accidents happen within the home. Most people admitted to the hospital or in the emergency room fell, tripped, broke a bone, did something that hurt them in the home or around the home. Doing some painting and some building this week, I stood on way too many kitchen chairs. I stood on way too many wobbly things. I should have not have stood on. God protected me in the midst of those. And yes, a lot of times there are viruses that we cannot see, that we do not know are there, but God rescues us from them, even though we might never know they are there. And while we have a tendency to focus on the things that happen to us, we rarely take account into account the rescue, the protection, the deliverance that God gives us in those things that we never really see, we never really know, because you know what? We know that he protected us because we made it here today. We're still here because God protected us. But God doesn't just rescue us. Excuse me. He delivers us in the midst of trial. Now, it says in here in our translation. It says that no harm will befall you. Well, how does God deliver us in the middle of trials, in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of harm? If it says here that no harm will befall you. There's two ways to look at this. Number one, some commentators translate that word befall as to conquer. No harm, no evil will conquer you. No harm, no evil will destroy you. Because you are covered by God's love. You are covered by his protection. You are covered by his eternal promises to see you safely through to the end. The other thing we need to consider is that maybe the trials and tribulations that befall us are not harm. I think oftentimes we focus too much on the harm aspects of the trials. Psalm 23, where does the shepherd lead? Well, he leads to the green pastures, does he not? He leads to the quiet waters, to the still waters. He leads on paths of righteousness. And he leads through the valley of the shadow of death. 
He leads us into those areas. I heard it explained one time that there are plants that only grow on the rocky mountainsides that provide certain nutrients that sheep need. And the shepherd knows that he has to take them through the dark valleys to get to those plants that those sheep need at certain times. And so being led, we need to consider that being led through the valley of the shadow of death is not a harm to the children of God. It's a grace. It's a goodness. It hurts, brothers and sisters. I am not telling you to deny that once at all. But they are graces to us, whether they teach us to come closer to God, whether they teach us to trust him more, whether they teach us to repent of sins that are in our lives and to remove difficult, move sins and sinful practices from our lives so that we might be more holy as God has called us to be holy. But when we look at our difficult things of our lives, do we truly believe Romans 8.28 or do we just spout it off so that people think we're holy? Do we truly believe James 1.2? Count it all joy, brothers, when you suffer trials of various kinds. Or once again, do we spout it off as a means to make people think we are holy? Pierce Taylor Hibbs recently wrote a book. And he spoke in, in, a, in an interview about this book. And this book about his, is about his struggle with anxiety. And the book is about how he went through the process of seeing his anxiety no longer as a harm, but as a grace that he could be thankful for. A grace that led him to want to know God more. A grace that led him to want to love God more. A grace that led him To see the goodness of God, even in the midst of his anxiety, he says he has not been delivered from his anxiety. He has not been rescued from his anxiety, but he is protected in the midst of it. And for that, he raises praise to God, even for the horrors of anxiety. So the first three promises, rescue, deliverance, protection. The next promise God gives is answered prayer. He says there near the end of the psalm. He will call upon me and I will answer him. God is not distanced from us. We cry out to him and lament and he hears and he answers. He answers with himself. He answers with his goodness. He answers with his grace. Paul cried out three times, wrestled with God three times. Take this thorn from me. God answered. Not maybe not the way we wanted. Maybe definitely probably not the way Paul wanted. But he understood that God's grace was sufficient. God also promises that he will be with us in times of danger and threat. The almighty God will look at here the most high and the almighty that is mentioned in verse one. Points to God's sovereign rule over creation. And that sovereign ruler over all things promises to be with you. In the middle of difficulty, in the middle of trial, in the middle of struggle. God promises honor for perseverance. I will honor him. Wrapped up in honor is the idea of vindication. Think of those seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. To him who conquers, I will reward in some way, shape or form. To him who perseveres in trial, to him who struggles in difficulty and calls upon my name, I will honor them. I will vindicate them. I will lift them up. 
God promises satisfaction or fulfillment in him. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know, if it wasn't for God, I don't think I could make it through this. It's because even in the difficult times, there's a satisfaction that only God can give. There's a fullness that only God can give in the midst of difficulty. And then God promises that we will enjoy our salvation through trial. Jesus said to his disciples, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They're persecuting me, they're going to persecute you. Every every struggle, every trial, every difficulty that we go through has been redeemed in in the struggles and the trials and the difficulties that Jesus went through. Our salvation came because Jesus suffered greatly on the cross. And so in trial, we learn to enjoy our salvation. And we learn to hope for the perfect enjoyment of that salvation when Jesus returns. So God promises these eight things. He promises rescue. He promises deliverance, protection, answered prayer, his presence with us in the midst of danger, honor, satisfaction, and enjoyment. And he requires three things of us. The first thing that he requires of us is for us to love God. The language in verse one is language of drawing close and intimacy and affection. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. That word shelter there is is in other translations, the secret place. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high, he who enters God's home, he who comes close to God, he who desires To love God intimately in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, will have all of these things happen to him. Will will have the promises as his or hers throughout the dangers, throughout the struggles of life. We love God by obeying him. We love God by seeking to draw near him. And he reciprocates this love by allowing us into the inner circle, the inner rooms of his family. As one commentator put it, we aren't left sitting in the entryway to his dwelling. We are brought deep into the inner rooms, the secret places in the abode of God. Secondly, we are called to know God's name. Verse 14, second half says, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Other translations say because he knows my name. Knowing somebody's name is not just knowing a label. It's knowing that person. It's getting to know that person in a way that once again implies intimate knowledge. We have four names of God in the first two verses. The last one is at the end of verse two where it says, my God, that's just the general name for God, Elohim. The first two, most high and almighty, go together to remind us that God is the sovereign ruler over all creation. And then the first line of verse two, it says, I will say of the Lord. That's that that Yahweh, the I am that we we find in Exodus. It's the name that God uses when he's talking about his relational aspect to his people, how he relates to them, how he comes near them, how he draws near to them as their God. As we know God more, he will draw closer to us because the more we know about God, the more we desire to draw close to him. 
The pursuit of knowledge about God is not merely an academic exercise. The more we know about God, who he is and what he has done, we focus a lot on what he has done. We need to focus more on who he is. But the more we know about God, the more we know about who he is and what he has done and the utter incomprehensibility that God would sacrifice himself in the second person of the Trinity so that people that hate him can be turned to love him. The more we'll love him, the more we'll draw near to him. So our responsibility is to love God. Our next responsibility is to know God's name. The third one, we are called to prayer. Now, how many times do each of us get mad at God because he draws, doesn't draw near to us? And yet, if we look back on those difficult times, we never we never cried out to him in prayer. We just got mad because he didn't show up when we needed him. But we never drew near to him in prayer. We are called to love God. We are called to know God's name and we are called to pray to him. And these three things go hand in hand. William Plummer, a 19th century theologian and commentator, said there is no getting on without prayer. And prayer without love is hypocrisy. And prayer and love without knowledge are at best superstition. And that is a great offense to God. Draw near to God in prayer. Seek to know him and seek to love him. This psalm does remind us of the reality of threats and dangers in our world, whether it's threats from viruses, whether it's threats from accidents, whether it's threats from our own sinful natures. But the ultimate threat with which we are in is the danger of knowing God's judgment against sin. Those those words in verses five and six, the terror, the arrow, the pestilence, the plague, Each of those words, there is some sense of it that they are sent from a deity on high. They are sent as judgment against sin. And the path to deliverance from that judgment is to seek to love God, to seek to know him and to seek to pray. Through Jesus. For brothers and sisters, you and I stumble, you and I falter, you and I fail. I don't love God the way I should. I don't know God the way I should. And I definitely don't pray to him the way I should. But thanks be to God, that's not the foundation of the promises of this song. Because the foundation is the verse I skipped. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. My faithfulness? Your faithfulness? No. His faithfulness. That's a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. God establishes his law. God establishes his decree. He calls his people to something. And then they fail. But he is faithful in the midst of their faithlessness. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Moses. We see it in the nation of Israel. We see it after David, who was the man after God's own heart. Up until the time Jesus was born, we see it over and over and over again. And every time we see it, we are we are. We should look forward to the time when some human would hopefully be faithful to God and pray that he would continue to be faithful to us. And this psalm reminds us right here 
That when I fail to love God, when I fail to know him, when I fail to pray for him, he is faithful. When I am faithless. And so while there are conditions to these promises, we are reminded that it is God's faithfulness which holds these promises secure. All the promises of the scripture. So brothers and sisters, seek to love God and seek to know God, seek to pray to God and rest and trust in his faithfulness. Let us pray. God, you are great. Thank you for your faithfulness. When I am faithless, you remain faithful. Help me to rest in that. Help me to trust in that. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. His faithfulness was shown in the Lord's Supper, in the giving of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we approach these elements, I read these words to you from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for this reminder of your faithfulness. You promised that a Redeemer would come, that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. As we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we anxiously await and say, Lord, is this one the woman? And then that one fails. And then we ask, is the next one the seed of the woman? And then that next one fails as well, all the way up until Jesus. And we thank you for being faithful, even though we have been faithless. Thank you for providing justice against our sins so that we might have grace and mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned a few moments ago, as we began, we will the elders will bring the tray to you. You will take one of each as it comes by. If you have a mask on, please keep it on until after you've grabbed your uh, your bread and your juice. But this is a reminder to us. It's a reminder of what God has done for us in the past. And what has God done for us in the past? Well. He didn't give us ultimate judgment when Adam and Eve sinned. He had the grace, the common grace, to allow us to take a breath and to continue taking breaths, as we talked about in Sunday school today. And then in the midst of that, he provided a way for us to not only continue to take breaths, but to be reconciled to him. And he did that by placing Jesus, upon Jesus as he was on the cross our sin so that it could be punished in him, so that we might have grace so that we might be reconciled to him and be able to stand in his presence and know that he is the great God who saves. And we might be able to stand in his presence without fear of judgment. So we remember that that has been done for us. We also remember what will be done for us when those promises are fulfilled, when Jesus returns. Those promises that are ours, even though it doesn't feel like it. Eternal life is ours, but we still die. Freedom from pain and sickness is still ours, but we still get sick. We still ache. We still break bones. We still age. But those promises are still ours, and we remember the day when they will fully and finally be fulfilled. And so as you take the juice, thank God 
for the forgiveness that has been offered. As you take the bread and the juice, as you take the bread and the juice for all of these things I'm saying, thank God for the forgiveness that he has given, for the promises that are yours. Confess any unconfessed sin before you partake. If you have sin that you are comfortable with, that you are living with, that you feel no need to repent of, please let these elements pass by. As I mentioned earlier, if you're just uncomfortable taking this in this time of coronavirus, pray to God that he would give you a desire to love it and enjoy it even more when you do feel comfortable taking. But let them pass by. It's okay. But as the elders distribute these, take moments, take opportunities to pray. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus did take that bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. On that night, he also took the juice, the, the wine. So this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And so we do that now.
body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Thank you once again, O God, our Father, for the work of salvation, the work that was carried out by you, by your Son, and by the Holy Spirit, so that we might be reconciled to you, and so that we might live eternally in your presence. Strengthen us through this. Help us to desire to know you, to love you, and to approach you more and more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today is hymn number 91. A mighty fortress is our God. Let us stand and lift our voices in song.
as you go this week, know that God is there to protect you, to look after you, and to rescue you from danger. And as you go this week, take this blessing. The Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.